This morning we were looking at Exodus chapter 31. And in Exodus chapter 31 we have Moses speaking with God. Being given ten commandments written by the finger of God. God was teaching them what was needed for building up this tabernacle. Having this special relationship with Almighty God. That God would dwell among them. But in Exodus chapter 32, when Moses was away from the people of God in Mount Sinai, the people of God he led to Sinai were getting nervous. Moses was, had almost finished his 40 days upon the mount. And in the absence of the leadership of Moses, in the absence of some kind of visible presence of God, there seems to be some kind of panic that takes place at the beginning of Exodus 32. They become impatient, and by their own means, they seem to have learned from Egypt. They seem to have gone back. They seem to have drifted to idols. But in doing so, they turned from the way commanded by the Lord. So let us read now God's holy word in Exodus 32. And may the Lord guide us this evening. Let us hear God's word. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early the next day. Offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said... This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And indeed, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, 
Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, He brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, relent from this harm of your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all the land that I've spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to this people, to his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides. On one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted. He said to Moses this is a noise of war in the camp. But he said it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor, of, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was, as soon as I came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder, and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire. And this calf came out. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for you 
for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made him of the Lord. Bless his words to our souls. Our title for this evening's message is When God's People Turn From the Way. When God's People Turn From the Way. It's all too easy and it's to depend on something or even someone without realizing it. Often it takes the loss of that thing to realize how much you depend upon it. I think um, some of us who may drink coffee might realize how when sometimes they're a day or two without coffee, they realize they're not acting the same way they were once. Yeah, and, and then is the time when you realize, oh, I'm, I'm relying on coffee way too much. And these things can happen. They can happen without us realizing it. We can even not realize how much we're depending on a, on a dear loved one. And we don't see how much we rely upon that person until they have left us. And it can make a void. A void that is difficult and challenging to fill. There can be voids of leadership. Leadership, as we're going to look at when it's, it seems to the, the people of Israel... That there's no leadership anymore. Where has Moses gone? He is away for almost 40 days. This void can make us feel uneasy. And when this void happens, it makes us, it can make us turn to things we would not have contemplated, not even thought about in normal circumstances. In the world of politics today, we can even see this. Whenever there's weak, immoral leadership, and you can see many examples around the world. We don't even have to think even at home, but we could. Weak, immoral leadership, which produces itself great fear, and it can often produce great impatience. And in that environment, it's, it's tempting to give quick answers. And we'll see this later with Aaron. Come, let us make gods, and straight away... He capitulates, he gives in to this pressure. We can, can be easy just to say, just do A, B, and C, and the problem has gone away. It's easy in those scenarios as well of panic to abandon established morals. Things that would be unthinkable in normal circumstances. And we see a, gr a growing and a dangerous trend around the world. 
I don't know if people are aware of this, but in countries like Austria, Germany, in the Northern Territory, in Australia, there is more and more authoritarianism and, and the dangerous growing of imprisonments, fines of $5,000 in Australia for people who don't want to be imprisoned for a few weeks. There's also a dangerous trend in Austria and Germany with uh, mandatory vaccinations. Now, regardless of your views about this, there's medical ethics, things that have been framed by a Christian worldview of informed consent, something that goes back many, many centuries. Something contemplating such things in our society today would have been thought of as unimaginable, possibly two years ago. And they're being openly discussed in our media and society. I say this for this reason. That in a perceived crisis, whether real or not, or whatever the case may be, we can turn just like the people here in Exodus 32. It's very easy to turn in a moment of void and crisis to do what these people did here. In Exodus 32, there is a sense of perceived crisis with God's people here. Where are they? And, and we can kind of get on their case and think, well, why would they have done such a thing? But they're in a strange place for them. Their leader is gone. Panic. But really there is no crisis. But they're not willing to wait that little bit longer. It says in Isaiah 40, verses 30 and 31, Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord. What can we learn here this evening in our relationship with God from the moment of turning of God's people, how they turn to idols. What does it teach us about God? And does it make us wary that we should not follow the crowd to do evil? Especially if it means not trusting the Lord. So we're going to look at Exodus 32. We're going to look at it under four headings. And we're going to ask... We're going to look at it under this theme of when God's people turn from their way, they turn, or turn from the way, they turn to idols. They turn to idols. So when God's people go away from the way commanded, there's only one way to go. It's not like it's the way idols and something else. It is idols every single time. The question is, what idol? In Exodus 32, verses 7 and 8, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down for your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. This is the... Here is the way. One of the earliest titles you could say for the Christians 
was followers of the way. They are those who walk in the narrow path. And to turn away from this is to turn to idols. The explanation for this departure from God. And this panic and this within this what seemed to be a void of leadership. There was uncomfortableness. Our leader was, where is he? He's abandoned us, maybe they thought. In verses 1 to 4, it tells us, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Moses and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. Come, make us gods. That could also be translated, Come, make, make us a god. That shall go before us. Where is Moses? We do not know what has become of him. Where is he? There is a kind of panic, isn't there? Where is Moses? How many days has he been away? I can imagine, can you, like two or three days into it. He's been away a long time, hasn't he? Is he he coming back a couple of days later? A few more people talk and the group gets larger and larger and the, the, the fear and the panic, somebody says, oh, maybe he was eaten, or maybe, who knows what happened to him. Anxiety, worry, and fear can spread through a congregation, can spread like wildfire. It seems as if like they're kind of feeding off each other. Now today again, we can just say, how could they be so reckless? Isn't that what you, when you read this, you think, how could they be so reckless? How could they go? How could they go this direction? There's no excuse for idolatry, but we must not think that we cannot or could not go this direction ourselves. That we could not and cannot go in the way and follow a crowd to do evil. We must not think that. If we do, we will not be careful to listen to God and to be on our knees about different things. Panic, worry, fear enters the camp. And Aaron does not stand strong. He doesn't, sadly. Aaron's immediate response is break off the golden earrings. This is, this is what the people want. You give them what the people want. Where did they learn? And we have to also ask ourselves, where did they learn to make this calf? It's probably from their time in Egypt. This was actually very common at that time. So, they learned from the world. Isn't that Amazing. They they learned from an environment that was utterly hostile to them. That would not let them go. Now as this is becoming more and more relevant, isn't it? Now Egypt was very favorable to Joseph and the people of God for quite a while. But that changed. That changed in Exodus chapter 1 verse 9. When there was fear. They begun to fear him. In Exodus chapter 1 verse 9. Let let us see what changed here. In Exodus chapter 1 verse 9 it says this. 
And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war, that they should join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. The excuse wasn't that, well, they're following Jehovah, they're, we hate them. It wasn't as simple as that. They were saying this, we fear them. They're going to join with our enemy. Here's a threat. Here's the enemy. Here's the danger. And this can be seen in various different ways, in various different scenarios. The king of Egypt feared them. This fallen world system, when in times of trouble they fell upon it, isn't that amazing? And do we as Christians, we can sometimes do this. Turn to something, to depend upon something, to seek peace and calm and security from something other than God. Now lots of things can become, lots of good things by the way. These are good things I'm going to mention, nothing wrong with them. But these are good things that can become idols, have become idols in our society. Sports, I love sports, but they can become an idol. Especially if you cannot stay away from them on the Sabbath day. Our homes. Nothing wrong with a nice home. But our jobs, even our families can become idols. Any good gift can become an idol. Now gifts from God cannot be seen as your hope. They cannot be seen as what gives you peace and joy. And when that thing is removed, that, even that person is removed, it, God has to be our hope. God has to be our hope. But you may say, oh, but I do not trust in these things. But neither did the people of God in Exodus 32. And you're saying, what? The people in Exodus 32, they didn't think they were going away from God. Let me explain. Yes, it was a product of the real minds, not of the mind of God, but they still believed that this was a representation of God. This is how John Gill explained it. They could not be so stupid as to believe that this calf, which was only a mass of gold, figured and decorated, was inanimate, had no life nor breath, and was just made after their coming out of Egypt, was what brought them from hence, but that this was a representation of God who had done this for them. They didn't think that this actual object brought them out of the land of Egypt. They said, here is the one who represents the one who brought us out of the land of Egypt. They couldn't possibly have thought that. That this view, by the way, is also taught in Roman Catholicism. They don't believe that they're actually worshipping the object. They'll say, no, 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 we're worshipping the one to whom the object points. This corrupted them. It corrupted their view of God. Verse 7 tells us here. And the Lord said to Moses. Get you down for your people. Whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Have corrupted themselves. We must not turn. From what is commanded. We must not turn. From the path of obedience. And we will. At times, slip in these areas. But we must remember 
where our hope is, where our confidence is. It must be not in a God of our own imagination, a God of our own hands. It must be in the true God and we approach him only as he has revealed. So they turn to idols, but they also turn, number two, to wrath. They turn to wrath, verses 9 and 10. It says here in our text, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, and my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Another way of saying this is, God is saying, I will, I will wipe them out, and I will we'll start again. <coughs> Idols can look innocent. We see them all over the evangelical world today. Can you think of something that's a very common representation of God? Images of Christ. And this is something that has been discussed in church history many centuries ago. And the church was very adamant upon it. No images of God. The Eastern and the Western church were all divided on it. It looks innocent, but not in the eyes of God. They bring the wrath of God. And God hates them. And what does Psalm 115 tell us about these images? Those who trust these images, these idols, these lifeless dead things. Psalm 115 verse 8 says, Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. What does that mean? They're like them. They're dead. Spiritually. No life. No hope. They are lifeless under God's judgment. So are those who make them. Now if you are. And I must point this out at this point. As we've gone through all these. Admittedly difficult things. To deal with. If you are in Christ. You will never ever face the wrath of God. God's wrath is burning hot against his people here. But if you're in Christ Jesus, you'll never face the wrath of God. As we saw this morning, you are covered, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, or this evening. You are covered in holy garments. You, you are able to enter into the holy of holies. You have met God at the mercy seat and received forgiveness. You gather with those redeemed, tabernacling tabernacling with God forever. And if you do sin, there is loving, fatherly discipline for the true believer in Christ. It doesn't mean that we will casually sin. When we do sin as believers, and we do, it will be uncomfortable. The Lord is merciful and he corrects us. He loves us. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, and scourges every son whom he receives. And contrary to the world today, correction, chastisement, otherwise known as corporal punishment much of the time, not always, is loving. Because you want your children to hate that sin. You want your children to learn there's consequences for that. And there's misery going that direction. You want them to learn that. You want them to learn that at a young age. And so God disciplines us in various different ways. But even we who are saved, 
turning for a miserable season, and it will be a miserable season to idols, turning to God's displeasure, we have to realize that these holy garments in which we're covered will never change. And God's love for us will never change. However, I must warn you, God can withdraw his presence. His assurance that you are a Christian. You will never ever lose your salvation. You'll never lose it if you're a Christian. But you can lose your assurance. When you fall into sin, you, will, you can be wrapped with guilt. You can step, am I even a Christian? Where are you, O oh God? And, and feel utterly, even abandoned at times. It says in Psalm 43, verse 2. For you are a God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Why do I suffer these things? Why do I go through these things? There's this anguish in the heart of the psalmist. There are times when God's presence seems far from us. Yet we are depending upon him. You see in the Psalms, there's a dependence upon God. Yet, there's a feeling of, where are you, O God? Whatever the reason... Whatever the reason that can happen, that that can happen in our lives, one possible reason is sin. It's not always. It can be a time of testing. Can you do? Will you still trust in the Lord? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. The help of my countenance and my God. Even in the midst of that. He is his hope. He is his confidence. You can still be saying this. Why are you cast down? Oh my soul. However. As we say all this. An assurance can be taken from the true believer. At times of falling into idolatry and sin. All churches. Even the purest churches. Are subject to mixture and error. Our own. Confession of faith. Chapter 25, paragraph 5 tells us that. Every single church, it doesn't matter how pure the church is, is subject to mixture and error. We make a huge error when we think this is a good church. We're all saved. That's not a biblical way to think. Now, it doesn't mean we start thinking, is he lost or is he lost? We don't, no, no, no. That's not a good way to think at all. But we must... All relies that there will be tares among the wheat. There will be some not born again. And will at times of great testing like this. Turn to idols openly and openly reject the gospel. And it is beyond painful. I think many of us maybe have experienced that. They've seen people you thought was a believer. And now they're off in the world and they're rejecting the gospel. It is heartbreaking. It is nothing short of heartbreaking. But it happens. And we we, we struggle with that. Did they lose their salvation? No. They were never born again. There are people who profess to know Christ. They have fooled possibly even themselves, their own churches, their families and everything else. But they do not fool God. They turn to wrath. Those who turn to idols turn to wrath. 
In verse 10 it says this, Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. It's not an empty threat. And I may consume them. Now we're going to start again. I will make of you a great nation. He says to Moses. Moses himself was angry as he saw the idolatry here. There is wrath against this behavior. In verse 19 it says this of how Moses himself responded to this idolatry in the camp. So it was as soon as he, as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger became hot and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. For a long time I thought that this verse was Moses getting angry and just losing his temper and just tossing it to the floor at the base of the mountain. And I don't believe that that's what it's teaching anymore. I believe that it is holy and righteous anger for what is taking place. There are times it is right to be angry. Be angry and sin not. And it came to pass, verse 30, and it came to pass the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. They have broken the law. He takes the tablets and he smashes them. They have broken the law. You've broken it in one place, you've broken it all. But if they are true children of God, if they have fallen into this displeasure of God, they will turn to mercy. So they turn to idols, they turn to wrath. Number three, they turn to mercy. They turn to mercy. Verse 29. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Consecrate yourselves today. Almost another way of saying that is repent. Earlier he says to God's people, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me, that you may receive a blessing, he's saying. And you see what God says of those people earlier, that I may pour out my wrath, my wrath is hot against these people. Those who are truly God's people, they would turn to that mercy. So that there will be blessing and the plague will be removed from them. There is plague among the people. Verse 35, and the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. But there is mercy even among this great sin of the people. In turning, they receive mercy. They receive blessing. Not because of their turning. It's not because their turning was this great work that appeased the wrath of God. First, before they even turned, before all this, there was the pleading of Moses. In verse 11, then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, 
Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them? In verse 14, at the end, it talks about the response to this pleading of Moses for the people of God. Moses pleads, why will you do this? No, don't. Be merciful. They don't deserve mercy. And he pleads. He pleads. And so the Lord, verse 14, relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Based upon this prayer, God answered. And turned from the, his fierce wrath. His, this fierce wrath is against all those who do not turn from their idols to his mercy offered in the gospel. And dear friends, one greater than Moses has pleaded for us. One with a far closer relationship to the Father in heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in this high priestly prayer of Jesus to his Father in John 17 verse 9, I pray for them. That's you and I, who are in Christ. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All that will ever come to the Father have been prayed for by Christ in this high priestly prayer in John 17. He has pleaded. He has pleaded that the wrath against you and I would be turned away. He pleaded for mercy. Our high priest Jesus Christ pleaded with the Father for our pardon. It's not because of your turning. It's not because of your faith. It's not because of something you work up within you. But because God showed you mercy. Yes, you did turn to him. Yes, you did turn to him, but we love him because he first loved us. He first loved us. It's all because of him. The beginning, the middle, the end, even before the beginning, every single part of it, the planning of it, every single part of it is because of him. Dear friend, if you do fall into sin, to trust in idols, to depend upon Him, if in some way your peace has, has begun to drift in some area of your walk with God, if in some way in the last two years, in 2020 and 2021, you know that there's been a drift in your walk with God, return to your first love. The one who prayed for you to the Father, the one who pleaded for mercy on your behalf. If you are trusting God, trust Him. Trust Him for His mercy. Trust the one who has kept perfectly in every point the standard the standard that which Moses had in his hands and smashed before the people, he kept that standard 
They broke it. We have broken God's law, but we trust in one who has kept it. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. A merciful and faithful high priest. That's who we're coming to. That's who pleads for us. Our merciful and faithful high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in Hebrews 2.17. Dear friends, you must turn from your idols. If you have been saved, you have turned from your idols. And if you are growing, you are continuing to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You are continuing to turn from your idols. Our last point is they turn to holiness. <clears throat> they turn to holiness. So we've looked at four points. They turn to idols, to wrath, to mercy. And finally, they turn to holiness. They turn to holiness. Verse 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained. For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said. Whoever is on the Lord's side. Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. When there's a turning back to God, when there's a time of this running to evil of many people, two groups can emerge. And I say can emerge. And not every church controversy can be viewed through this lens. So we need to be careful with this. But some issues and some things will ask us this profound question. Who is with God? Who has turned to holiness? Who has said, my allegiance is to Christ, no matter the cost, no matter the consequence in this world? They stand out. And they do not join in with the evil of apostasy. In Exodus 23 verse 2 it says this. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Nor shall you just testify in a dispute. So as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. It's easy to go with the crowd. It's easy to go with what is popular. But the word of God warns us that we shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Our responsibility, as it was in 2020, as it was in 2019, and 2018, and every year before that, is to obey God, being careful not to be carried along with panic such as this, that is seen in the camp. This great uncertainty that has been created in the camp. And turning to holiness may mean turning away from something that is popular. And what is even more shocking is, here it is in this text, that even Aaron went along with it. That's a sobering thought. 
That is a really sobering thought. I think of myself and Lord willing, I hope to be in, a, in the ministry someday. I should never think for a second that I am incapable of succumbing to popular opinion and being pressured into something that is evil. You must pray for your elders. You must pray for those who are in leadership. Aaron should not have supported this rebellion. It said, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. And Aaron's excuse was this. Well, you know the people. You know, you know what they're like. Another way of saying it. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword in his side and go in and out from the entrance. There was grave consequences for this turning. There was church discipline being carried out here. Verse 28, so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Now, Today, we do not have the death penalty as a form of church discipline. But there is church discipline. There is consequences for sin. And it is done for many reasons. It's done for the health of the church. It is done also for the benefit and the blessing of that person who falls into their sin. It is vital for the health of the church. It is vital that God's people... Look to the true God of heaven and not to one they have invented. If there is true repentance, dear friends, there will be a change in behavior. There will be something that changed. They all flood towards this idol, this golden calf. They all go in this direction. Even Aaron is pressured into it. And then in the midst of this, there are a number who step out and are on the Lord's side. Putting to, de- putting to death the deeds of the flesh. There are sincere believers in there caught up in sin. And then the question will be, when that happens, do we stand for God? Do we stand for God? Who do we serve? I do not know the future. I do not know the future. But the world is changing very, very rapidly. And things are being discussed I never thought would be discussed. Things such as mandatory medical treatment against someone's will. It matters nothing. It does not matter what our views about vaccines are. But when informed consent and things like this are being discussed and we have to make sure we do not go after the crowd for evil. Maybe we have no say in it. Maybe we have no way of changing it. But we don't support it. We pray against it. We try to urge our people who are in power to have sense. And I even ask this scary question. I, I, I fear even to put it out loud. The f- I, hope this, I hope this is completely absurd I hope that this will never even be a question. Vaccine passports needed to enter a church.
The church is for all who will come. Everybody. Everybody. We have got to be very careful that we don't go against people. We may disagree with people, but we don't oppress them. There will come points in our lives, dear friends. I say this as somebody who has wept and cried over this. Forgive me. There will come a point when, when theology will no longer be theory. And we will be tested. But, dear friends, there are some of the most glorious days in church history. We still read about martyrs. We still read about the William Wilberforces. We still read about all those men. Their testimony throughout the ages still speaks. Let us let our testimony today speak to our grandchildren and our great grandchildren. Idols challenge us. It doesn't matter who we are. Every single last one of us. I am prone to it and so are you. But maybe you haven't come to Christ here this evening. There is nothing else that is needed but but faith in Jesus Christ. And he says to you, dear friend, come to me, all you are at labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It doesn't matter what what is wearying you. It doesn't matter what is drawing you away from him. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It is wonderful. His burden, we may fear what comes ahead, but his burden is light. It is, it is wonderful. And the Lord gives us the greatest times of peace and serenity. Just things we can't even imagine in the most horrible situations. How could the early Christians sing while they were in prison? How could they go to be crucified outside the walls of a city singing? And yes, we don't feel brave enough today, but may the Lord give us the strength if those days ever do come. And may his name be glorified in those days. His invitation is to all. And we invite every single person, regardless of who they are, what they believe, to come and fellowship with us and to trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.